Hello, and welcome to New Matter, the SLAS podcast. I'm Mike Tarselli, and I'm the scientific director for SLAS. And joining me today is esteemed board member, Severine Tomas-Lusto. How are you, Severine? Very well. Thank you, Mike, for the invitation. Of course, we are glad to have you. So tell me a little bit about yourself. How long have you volunteered with SLAS, and what's your background professionally? So I have been involved with SLAS since 2006 and uh, joined the panel of judges for the New Park Award uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, this committee is in charge of scoring the new products uh, during the annual conference to select the most innovative product of the year. You can check the winners of the previous years, but most of the award winners have seen very active MA activities after receiving their awards. So the SLAS platform is a very good launch pad for uh, innovation. I have joined the uh, board of directors two years ago, and I am now treasurer of the uh, association. Excellent. Thank you. And so you talk about being on the new product award judging committee and the idea of SLAS being an innovator and launchpad. Uh, what about your background makes you positioned for that? Um, tell me about your experiences with startup businesses. So I'm managing partner of a business consulting company based in Europe. And uh, we're working with startup company to support them for market access. Our day-to-day work uh, is about steering and guiding the life science entrepreneurs to find their market and acquire their first customers. So it's very operational and, and, and supporting uh, the startup companies. Got it. And is it, is it a broad-based portfolio across all of life sciences? Or do you have a specialization, say, in diagnostics or cell culture or assay development? We're, we have a broad portfolio. And... Uh, but a lot of our technologies are relevant to uh, SLAS uh, being uh, cell culture, automation, and uh, mm-hmm. all the topics that are uh, uh, being uh, dealt with at SLAS. Excellent. And I got to ask, because I ask everyone who comes on here, what's the most exciting professional accomplishment in this space you've had to date? Which startup has really taken off or when did you have a light bulb moment in your career? So we have a lot of... Um, great successes, or it's difficult to extract one specific uh, success and (laughs) say, well, this is, you know, the best uh, accomplishment. It is really, um, what really excites me personally is when I see that uh, our startup, uh, our clients endorse the strategy that we've put forward for them, because it's usually quite different from their initial ideas. And uh, seeing them endorsing it means that they really understand what's in it for them and how they can move forward to have a higher impact on on the market. I understand. And your startups that you have in your portfolio, are they more in the medical doctors? Are they PhDs? Are they students coming out of university? Or is it all types? So it's any type of profile. Uh, It's it's really... uh, Well, the, the, the leadership team usually comes from... Uh, the science um, has a science a scientific background and comes with an innovation. So it can be, um, it, it's quite wide. It's quite wide the type of, uh, of profiles. So tell me, um, just to date this podcast a tiny bit, we're recording this in June of 2020. And currently we're still in the emerging first wave, I'd call it, of SARS-CoV-2, aka COVID-19. Um, are you seeing any different businesses emerge given the pandemic? 
or are you seeing that your companies that you manage are adopting their practices in some way? Well, there has been different. Uh, well, the, the market has gone quite uh, uh, quite for um, well since March uh, uh, when the, the lockdown was uh, announced in Europe. Uh, but uh, in our industry, there has been two different uh, profiles. I mean, the first one being um, the uh, companies that are positioned on COVID nineteen, whether looking for a new therapy or developing diagnostic tools, then these ones mm-hmm. have been extremely active and uh, have been uh, uh, very much involved in, uh, uh, well, trying to keep up with the business and really putting their operation despite the uh, COVID-19 situation. So this is one part uh, of our clients that have been uh, extremely busy. And then the other part then is really have had to put on hold their activities and uh, uh, rethink about their strategy to define how they're going to keep up and also uh, make up for the loss during this uh, uh, lockdown uh, period. Got it. And are you seeing any major wholesale strategic pivots, say from someone who's in neurochemistry or in testing strips or something that suddenly shifts their entire focus of business towards antivirals or pandemic medicine? For sure, there there is a lot of opportunistic um, uh, approaches here. Where, if possible, uh, I mean, most of the companies, if possible, if they have anything uh, that can relate to infectious disease, have uh, uh, tried to position themselves. It has been more or less successful, but uh, this is a, an extremely good funding uh, opportunity for the companies to, uh, yeah, reposition and and really get. Uh, active in the field. So tell me, you have a unique perspective in the SLAS community because of being a managing partner and helping startups to grow and move. So you probably have a good perspective on what changes you see coming down the pike in SLAS, say over the next five to 10 years. What's going to dramatically shift? Historically, SLAS has been really you know, big capital D automation and assay development. Will that still persist into the future or do you see something very major changing? Yeah, well, I think there will be uh, different levels of changes uh, because we see a new, number one, we see a new generation of scientists rising. So uh, with different uh, ways uh, of uh, working and different ways of doing things. So um, mm-hmm. I think, number one, in the shape, and the, content, the shape and the content of the traditional conference will evolve for sure. Uh, we've, we've been fully virtual for the last three months, and uh, we see that uh, a lot can be done over, uh, uh, well, with virtual tools uh, uh, online and uh, also through social network or even through uh, virtual uh, conferences. So I think this is really uh, going to change the way we interact in the community uh, with people. But I still believe that face-to-face and in-person conference will continue because it remains essential to meet with people. And a lot happens when you are together in the same room discussing about a topic rather than being uh, on a, uh, in front of a computer discussing about a subject. So I really think that the format and the, the way we're going to uh, exchange uh, information is going to evolve and uh, also the topics. I'm sure the topics are going to change. 
um, still automation is um, is a basis, is important, is growing in many other application um, and fields. So I think it's it's going to be a common ground, but uh, there will be new um, a new field coming. I'm curious also because again your unique perspective. Do you see the perspective of you said the younger generation do you see them taking on careers in starting companies as a means to an end as opposed to more traditional paths into say pharmaceuticals or fine chemicals or robotics firms do you think that the startups angle is a new or fresh approach that people are now preferentially choosing uh well it's a very good question i mean new and fresh approach maybe not it's already there i think more and more of these young scientists are going to look at the opportunity of starting their companies because there's a lot to do um and and for sure in europe uh, we see a growing community i mean more and more young scientists who don't really see the path forward uh, decide to pick up the uh, um, well the, uh, their PhD or postdoc um, uh, a project and pick it up to create a company and, and develop a business or, around that. Got it. And what kind of skills do you think these new scientists need to have in their back pocket? Are the scientific trainings we offer right now in school sufficient? Or do you think they should have a more broad-based education in, say, economics, business, what have you? I think what's really essential is, is to be um, at the top uh, on the scientific part and be uh, uh, trained in, uh, I mean, participate in, in the trainings and uh, build your knowledge and uh, in science, robotics. I mean, these skills are really essential to master the technology. The rest can be uh, brought on board and uh, also uh, can be combined with other types of uh, leaders that can join the company. But I think it's extremely important to have as a cornerstone or as a basis, uh, people that uh, are strong in science, very strong in science. Fair enough. So outside of the realm of just skills acquisition, what advice do you have for younger generations, for folks who are between 18 and 25, who really see automation and interface sciences as being part of their calling? What would you have them do? Well, I would say uh, enjoy the science because it's uh, it's really uh, exciting to... Uh, to look at the uh, uh, new scientific topics, use associations like SLAS to build your knowledge and your network because knowledge is one thing. Network is also really, uh, really important and helps very much. And uh, also don't miss the chance to, uh, well, to start your own business and because there are a lot of uh, opportunities out there. Excellent. Any closing thoughts you'd like to leave for our podcast listening audience? Well, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, many of you uh, and meeting many of you virtually at the uh, SLES uh, Transform next week. Thank you. That's the best kind of thought you could leave us with. Appreciate that greatly. Severine Tomas-Lustau, merci beaucoup. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike.